Hello and welcome to the Masters Swimming Podcast with me, Joe Malone. A reminder to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you choose to listen to it on and do tell your teammates and spread the word. Today's guest is a former Olympian who represented Great Britain for a number of years and very, very successfully indeed. Gold, silver, bronze medals, British records, you name it, he achieved it. Um, he is now an elite coach, coaching some of the fastest swimmers in the world. Uh, James Gibson, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. <laughs> That's quite an intro. Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, nice to be here having a chat with you. Well, first things first, your car is in for a service today. Uh, are you feeling confident? <laughs> no, not really. Not with the prices <laughs> that's going on in the world. I think uh, I think I'm due a big bill a little bit later, but um, it gives me a nice little bit of time to catch up on some admin and a perfect opportunity to have a chat with you about masters swimming. Sounds good. Well, my fingers are crossed for you. Um, so, as I mentioned earlier, you were uh, an amazing swimmer yourself, and you are. Uh, by all accounts now a, a brilliant coach as well we're, we're master swimmers you know and, and I, I would confidently say that the majority of us love swimming just as much as you guys do but obviously the one key difference is that we don't do it full time and we have to fit you know training in around our, our day jobs and all that kind of stuff I think you know I'm speaking on behalf of most master swimmers here in saying that we train on average two to four times a week um, some more some less uh, my personal target is to try and swim a minimum of kind of 10 kilometers a week occasionally get up to maybe 13 what sort of distances are your swimmers covering each week and, and and does that depend on the swimmer and their goals as well because you often hear about this magic 5k per session that seems pretty universal but but maybe i'm wrong that's interesting i think you probably swim more than ben proud and he's a he's a, <laughs> he's, a he's an elite pro um no honestly you know there's there's no right or wrong rule and um, you know you like such and it, it depends. Some people actually enjoy swimming up and down for two hours and can fit five, six K a workout in. Some people just don't enjoy that. They're like the more sprint mentality and they want to go down certain routes. Also, you've got to be where you physiologically fit, where you physiologically meet up because, you know, most people swimmers in the world, they want to be sprinters. They want to be doing this uh, 1000 meters workout. They want to swim real fast. They want to spend the time in the gym. But uh, sometimes, you know, you can't fight genetics and, you know, the body tells you something different. So, yeah, it's very specific to the individual. So in the elite world, we tailor our programs around everyone. So if I've got 10 athletes, they, they all have their own specialized programs. Yes, there's sessions where they come together, but generally it's quite specific. But in the Masters community, I know it's a very much a social aspect. And so it's quite nice to be in a group and follow your own, you know, you follow the group workout. So I don't like these things, uh, park runs, for example, you go and you yes. meet up with, if you meet up with 10 people, 15 people, it's always easier, you know? And uh, I think that's why sometimes we end up just following uh, a certain specific session that the coach does. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with that at the same time. No, that's, that sounds all good. And um, on that basis, you, you sort of mentioned it anyway, but do you, you know, all the swimmers that you've that you've coached over the years so far, do, do you approach approach it with a degree of familiarity? So although they'll have their own kind of specific drills that they work on, are, are there certain standard things that you will do with every swimmer, i.e. a certain standard warm-up or a certain, I don't know, patch of col a kilometre maybe that's just pretty standard regardless of what you swim and what your goals are? And, uh, yeah, I think this, it's, a good, it's a nice question, that, because it depends on the goals of the program. So if you're managing a big program, if you're a club coach and you've got 30 kids, 40 kids in the pool, um, sorry, athletes or kids here, it's a, you, you've got to use the right terminology. If you've got 30, 40 athletes in the pool, then it, 
it's hard to really be specific with a group, but if you're working with just the elites, it allows you a lot more freedom because the size of your group is a lot smaller. So uh, I just want to make a point, if there's any coaches listening, uh, I honestly believe there's no right or wrong way of running a swim program. It's just, and you have to evolve with what you've got in front of you all the time. And I can say, yeah, program is specific, but they might not work for you and your environment. So there's no right or wrong. It's just what you feel is right for what you're doing with your group. So, yes, um, what I have in the past, I'd like to get all the athletes to warm up together. But the distance boys get bored of waiting for the sprinters. And, you know, sometimes they've got to swim 10K a session and they just want to get on with it. And the sprinters also don't want to rush to finish their warm up because it's they're working already in the wrong training zone. So, you know, uh, I am very specific now, and I'm, I'm I'm also lucky that I get to work with the best of the best, and they, you know, and they do require different things. And you know, some points you like them together, some points you don't, and it's just where you are in the season. Definitely towards the major meets, you've got to be more and more specific. There's no point putting Ben in with Sarah Schostrom or or Chad in with Ben or Misha Romanchuk because they just there's no there's no real crossover even for warm-ups so what i tend to do is have them all together for dry land uh, a little bit of teamwork you know before they get in the water yeah no that sounds good uh, i assume when you're in the thick of it you're kind of in their early mornings and again in the afternoon do, do you also get involved in the dry side specifically the, tr- the strength training or is that kind of covered off by separate coaches no i'm not an expert so i think you know, this, I think gone are the days where the swimming coach tries to do everything, um, and also we're in we're in an, an era where we also have to be vigilant around the athlete athlete well being. That's the same in masters. You know, it's all about athlete well being. And um, yes, there may, may be some extra costs involved, but uh, you need professional advice. Um, me, I'm yes, I can tell people what to do in the swimming pool. I can see technique, but. I don't understand clean and jerk and squats and um, we're in this, yeah, we are in this, we have to put the athlete's health and well-being first before absolutely everything else. So therefore we always recommend you work with professionals, professional nutritionists, professional uh, physiotherapists, professional uh, strength and conditioning coach, psychologist. So it's, it's very much the, the job of a head coach is more of a manager now. Yes, you take mm. care of the water work, but, you know, you, you, you can't do everything. You, you, you can't do everything. And you, you shouldn't do everything because you also put yourself in a vulnerable situation to making mistakes. Yeah, makes sense. So I know when I'm training myself in the mornings, um, you know, I train on my own in the mornings. I, I often find myself talking through what my program for that session is going to be in the car on the way there. Um, I'm somebody who likes to go with the flow on how I feel as well, rather than saying, for example, on Sunday, planning my week and saying, right, Thursday, I'm going to do brushstroke sprints because I might actually just not fancy it on the day and then everything kind of gets flipped upside down. I'd imagine you also can't plan too far in advance either because you also have to think about how the athletes are actually feeling on perhaps on the day or a few days out. How much planning do you actually do around your around your sessions? Right. Sports scientists out there, put your earmuffs on, please. (laughs) In all my years of planning and working with athletes, it never goes to plan. So you can write these season long plans and it looks pretty. Um, And you know what? You work with different people in your environment. So, yes, you have to provide the Excel spreadsheets of how that looks from September through to July. Um, And it's just everyone is different. I'm an artist. Uh, Personally, I don't really like numbers data. But my strength coach, I I work with Marco Cosso, he's a scientist. And if he doesn't have a strict plan of how to work, 
he, he he's not performing at his best. So there's a bit of give and take in the yeah. environment and how you and how you do things. So in terms of planning, um, I'm very strict on a weekly plan and a cycle plan. Um, I have a basic goal of from point A to point, uh, sort of from September through to December. It's more slightly over distance work, foundations, no real big rest in December for short course racing. Um, and then throughout the year, you're just trying to make people go as quickly as possible from January to April, then April to the summer. And each meet, you want to just progress on through. And they're just the basics, really. Yes, you can f fluff out the detail in there, but I still... I've had incredible performances from athletes that the plan has been thrown out you know, halfway through because it's been a disaster. I've had terrible performances where the athletes followed the plan immaculately and then mm. you're just scratching your head like how it all happened. So I come from it all from a very much a psychological point of view. Mm. I have to deal with what's in front of me. I'm dealing with very experienced athletes. Some are actually master's age, you know, yeah. and they're adults. So I, I tend to work with the athlete instead of having a dictatorial program where you write it on the board, this is what we're doing, and you crack on with it. But so certain periods where the athletes need managing and there has to be a period of hard work and there's also periods where you can let them go. I can explain it like a, a fishing rod where yeah. you've got the athlete on a rod, you just let them go, and every now and then you pull them back a bit. And let them go, pull them back a bit. But the senior athletes, they need that element of control of, over what they're doing because they know so much. They know their bodies better than I do. And the role of the coach with sort of the older athletes and the masters is more, you, you, let's be honest, you're more of a mentor and a belief partner as necessarily a coach. And I'll, I'll explain my philosophies on that a bit later. Yeah, no, that sounds good. Even the pros are, are human too. Uh, and I'm sure they have days and weeks where they're just not in the mood. Uh, how do you flex when you have a swimmer who's struggling to kind of connect with their training 100%? Uh, and also, how have you managed a situation in the past where you might have one swimmer who's not really feeling it and then another one who's bang up for it and they're kind of training together? Yeah, that's really hard. That's, uh, it all depends on age and development. Um so you've got to understand the people you're working with. Um, so first and foremost, my, my, my big thing on, 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 on working with people is understanding their people. So I've got, I had people at Energy Standards. I had a young guy from Zaporizhia uh, who was 18 and comes from eastern Ukraine. And I'm a swimming coach from East London. So we grow up and we see the world differently. He has mm. different parents to me. I have different parents to him. Yeah. Uh, we live in a totally different environment. Uh, he got to the top based on just his talent, nothing through hard work. Didn't work hard, I'll be honest with you. Not every great swimmer works hard. That's a myth in itself. Um, so, you know, he got to that center. But how to get to the next level, yes, you need training, development plans and working. So you've got to understand who you're working with. What are their personalities? And you've actually got to ask the athlete what's important for you. Like, Joe, like, if I was to say you, what's important for you? What do you want to get out of your swimming? Oh, God, good question. Um, I mean, I just I just love it. And I just want to keep getting faster. I, I still think I can. So I, that, that for me, I guess, is my goal. So how, how, how do you believe your body responds better to work? Like, what, what do you need from a training session? 
Yeah, again, another good question, because I've always been someone who swam a few times a week. I'm now uh, very recently started training every morning. So this is the first time I've experienced that. I actually don't know how I'm going to respond. Come a race, I'm racing in two weeks. So I'm really interested to see how I actually get on. I personally love, in, in terms of from a more psychological point of view, I love sprint sessions because I love sprinting. I don't necessarily love the heavy load sessions, but then... Again, I don't actually know whether that's better for my body or not. I just know it's better for me mentally. Okay, so th- there you go. That's that's you and your philosophy. So that's fantastic because you, you at least you have you got the, the fact by saying I'm not too sure is great because you, you you're experimenting and you want to try different things and I'm not and I need a little bit of guidance from it. But then you get, might get an athlete that turns around and say, my body reacts terribly to aerobic work. I don't want to do it. Yeah. So it's about management of the person and the individual. And uh, some people, they, uh, they get different. Your original question was, you might get a motivated person and an unmotivated person. So you just have to really figure out, you know, where that they're at. And by pushing an unmotivated person, yes, it might be, if you've got a group dynamic to manage, it's terrible because they might be sucking the energy out of the group. Mm-hmm. But for that individual, they might need to take a step back. And we're actually seeing all these athletes retire, come back, win gold medals still. They're good because they're good. So if they need a period where they step away, how I would manage that is, right, you're not motivated at the minute. That's completely fine. Let's have a program just to keep you ticking over. But you're going to do it away from the group because I can't have you pulling the rest of the group down. So we all acknowledge the fact that, yeah, you might be struggling as an athlete. And this is just we all go through it. Uh, I had a psychologist, Bill Bezik, explained this to me. So Bill was uh, from the, the chimp, you know, the chimp paradox. Yeah. He explained it to me. Not Bill Bezik, no, different one. Sorry, wrong person. No, it wasn't Bill Bezik. It was uh, Steve Peters, chimp paradox. There we go. Apologies, Bill. I'll get <laughs> on to you later. Um, but the chimp paradox was around the chimp is always out of control and it goes off on tangents and logic. We never think logically. If we're emotionally, we're behaving like chimps. So, but he explained to me about as a, a normal human being, you wake if you wake up in the morning and you don't want to go to work, you're not told you're depressed or a drain on the group or whatever. It's just you don't really want to go to work. Mm-hmm. And you can go for a week of not want to go to work and you go through a month not going to work, but you go anyway. So the life's all about cycles. And sometimes we're at a peak, sometimes we're in a trough. That's just how it is. The idea is we need to get the athletes in the middle ground where the, 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 the highs are not so high, the lows are not so low, but everyone is different. So some people can be their chimp, be, be completely run by their chimp and their emotions, where some people can be completely logic-based. But there's also no right or wrong in that. So if you're a person that is very emotional, and that's just you. That's life. But yeah. you need to help everyone around you understand that, yes, I'm emotional. Sometimes I'm going to do this. Sometimes I'm going to do that. And equally with someone who's logical, but I'm, sometimes I'm going to ask you so many questions, but I just need that for me because I'm this person. Mm. It's, it's really interesting, actually, you're talking about that because I do get the sense now there's a lot more thought given to how people are feeling in, in professional sport. I also liked what you said earlier as well about if you're good, you're just good. So some, some times people do retire. I happen to be into lots of other sports as well. I, I do love seeing a, a coming out of retirement story. And you've, I've even seen it in, in top level football, you know, footballers retiring or, or whatever or 
even just being injured for a whole year and not really training and then they come back and on day one they just look like they've never been away and you just think wow that is it's so impressive okay so i want to take this opportunity now you know speaking with a, an elite coach as yourself there'll be lots of master swimmers maybe even coaches that listen to this that are looking for some inspiration i said earlier that i believe most master swimmers train somewhere between two and four sessions a week so let's say three sessions as an average you know they could probably cover around 3k a session if they wanted to Again, taking a broad brush because you might have somebody who wants to focus on a 50 breaststroke sprint uh, in terms of racing or somebody who wants to be a 400 freestyler. How would you approach three sessions a week with any given swimmer? Would you look to go? Yeah, and again, imagine you're coaching a session full of people here, so not just an individual. Would you say, okay, let's let's get as much load in as we can every session, or would you go, let's go sprint base, or would you go somewhere in the middle? just go somewhere in the middle to be honest um but again what i would do is i'd i'd have a so i'm talking about a big group i'm yeah. coaching a group i would also we're going to do one session and then i'd also design those three sessions so people can split off so first part of the session all together warm up then we we'll do some drills and skills so the way i structure each workout is exactly like a race so like a warm-up for a race like they'd have a little loosen some drills and skills some speed work and then recovery. So if it's like warm up, drill skills, then aerobic set, it's still the same philosophy all the way through. Mm. So you can also, you know, if you're going to structure, so three or four sessions a week, I'd, I'd write, you know what, you've got, I'd write probably four and a half K, three K, two K, but then there's get out points or what you have is a warm up drills and skills. And then you split off. If you've got three lanes, sprinter middle distance distance there you go bang okay. and then uh, it, you, you empower the athlete as well so so for for someone in the water it might be well i need to i need to do work hard to achieve i need to swim and you know there's athletes out there uh that they actually believe they need to physically hurt themselves every single day it's the logic of i work harder than anyone else in the world yeah adam pt has an element of this and yes. that's what makes him brilliant so if you don't deliver as a coach if you don't deliver that sort of program he'll never believe anyway so you know what this so again it's the same for all of us you might have someone in your lane who's a master swimmer that believes i need to be technically efficient to win you might have someone think i need to do lots of speed work to swim fast you might mm -hmm. have someone think i need a hell of a lot of aerobic work to, to go well so warm up drills and skills as a group and then sprint middle distance go choose your lanes you're 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 the athletes you're in charge i'm just helping you on your journey um then you go so you've got three workouts going short middle long and then and it could be like one day for you for example you might think i don't you know today i'm shattered um but the logic is when you're shattered maybe you should do easy aerobic mm -hmm. so the normally you think oh, i'll just do sprints but it's the worst time to do sprints because you yeah. can't develop power you can't develop speed if your body's exhausted. So that's where, you know, but it's nice to actually have those options. But then again, okay, so if you've got one lane, that's a bit more challenging. So if you've got, and which might happen with master swimming. Uh, so four sessions a week, one lane. Yeah, I think you've got to design the session to have get out points. So um, 2K, 3K, 4K, 5K, whatever, yeah. or 3K, 4K, 5K. And it's a bit more it's a bit more trickier but then with the cost of laying higher the cost of swimming you're probably going to be in that situation where you have six or seven eight swimmers a lane 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, I know at our club it's probably an average of five swimmers a lane, um, but we do have a whole pool. So actually, that the idea of splitting it up is is a really good idea. Um, I really like seeing your your videos on Instagram of of you and Ben doing the old straight arm drills with the flippers on and the snorkel out. How much? Um, just I'm just curious to know about Ben. Obviously, being the biggest sprinter I could possibly imagine, and and you you know you've obviously made a joke at the start about the amount of training he does. At, how often is he going at absolute max speed in training? Is it is it actually a rare thing or is it quite frequent? No, it's rare. Um, the thing with these guys is you can burn them out very quickly. Uh, I'll give you an example. I work with, uh, I'm going to go back to Ben because I need to explain my philosophy on this. So I work with one of the best physiologists, physiologists in the world called Jan Albrecht before. I told you I'm not numbers science database. So I went out of my comfort zone to go with the most number science database person ever. So we tested Liam Tancock. So Liam Tancock was a uh, he was a world record holder, double world champion. Yeah, it was as sprinty as it gets. He was, and uh, so we tested him with a lot of physiological testing on him, uh, lactate testing, and the results come back. And Jan said to me, "Never sprint this guy ever." I'm, I'm going, I'm a sprint coach, as we know. We sprint every day and stuff. And he was like, no, his anaerobic power is off the scale. He has one of the highest numbers I've ever seen in my life, which means he can't access his aerobic capacity. Mm. Therefore, he can't, you know, he'll never be able to finish 100 and he'll never be able to sprint fast anyway, because every time you sprint him, you're suppressing his neural system. And I'm there just looking into space. Wow. I'm like, what is this guy going on about? And I'm not to sprint a sprinter. So I spoke with Liam about it. And Liam was, I think he was 30 at the time. And he, and he turned around and said to me, he was like, yeah, let's do it. I'm at the end of my career. Let's give, it a, let's give this a go. So Jan developed a, said, right, swim 23K uh, a workout, uh, nine times a week. So swim 27K a week, no sprints, just easy aerobic and drills and skills. So we did this for 10 weeks. And Liam went to Kazan World Championships and he had the fastest second 50 in the 100 backstroke out of anyone in the final. He's a guy that can't finish a race normally and he's he's could sprint again. And we're just like, well, wow. Yeah. We've done because his system had all recharged. It, 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 he was so anaerobic um, that any sort of sprint suppressed him. So I've taken that lesson in with Ben. So, what you might think these sprints every day, no. He'll go through phases where we just work distance per cycle work. Um, in full training, if we're doing two weeks hard, he'll probably load on speed work twice a week. Mm. Twice a week. The rest of it is uh, Monday will be some speed work. Tuesday, his key session will be gym. Wednesday, some hypoxic aerobic stuff. Thursday, gym. Friday, some speed work. And then Saturday, some gym. That's I load him once a day. Um, and it's his body can't. It, it's the distance for me. Yes, you can handle more, but it can't handle it. So why keep doing more, 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 more when it actually makes you slower? So that's the thing with coaching. You have to, the golden rule of coaching is what what we don't never tell anyone is we have an incredible ability to make you worse. We can make you better, but we can also make you worse, and that's why it's a a very privileged job. Yeah, that's it's fantastic that you're aware of that as well because um, I, that I wouldn't have even thought about that. So that's uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, again, coming back to the masters um, space, sort of you know on the assumption that we maybe maybe train three times a week, how much of a difference? And you you mentioned the gym work there with Ben. How much of a difference do you think 
gym work can can make to your average master swim if we added two strength sessions on top of say three swims do you see that making a huge difference or maybe not at all if you'd have asked me this question two months ago i'd have said yes fantastic get strong get big but now since david popovici i don't think i understand anything <laughs> yes you know swimming swimming goes through trends where you know, oh, if you don't do gym, you know, you're not going to be able to achieve it. You have to do gym. You have to do 16 sessions of core a week. Yeah. And then you go down this path. And then suddenly some 17-year-old boy swims 46-8 and breaks a world record. Right. And he's got no muscles on him at all. Yeah. So therefore, everyone's looking at themselves now thinking, oh, do we need gym? Do we have to do gym? <laughs> Is gym important? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's incredible, the cycles that you go through. And well, now we're at a crossover point where, you know, I, I, I believe in functional strength. I think Pilates is fantastic. Um, I, think, I think you can get away with one good gym session a week. Um, I don't believe in high repetition work. I don't believe in strength endurance. I believe in maximum strength and I believe in how fast you move the bar. Also, it depends on your event. So if you're a 200 freestyler, how much strength do you actually need? If you're an open water swimmer, how much do you actually need? You don't yeah. need a lot. So there's a law of diminishing marginal returns. You don't need to be in the gym five times a week to try and bench an extra two and a half kilos. You yeah. <laughs> there's no point. You go and do something else with your time, maybe even rest, you know, because if you're a master's guy, a swimmer's guy, a lady or man, I guess you have full-time jobs and, you know, that takes up a considerable amount of your time as well. So uh, I'd figure out how much your strength you is actually relevant to the event that you're doing. And you know what? You can get a lot done in one session a week, a lot. Yeah. And you can yeah. be strong in that one session a week as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, on a slightly more individual basis, then we talked a minute ago about running a group session. Um, again, I'm someone who trains, have started training every morning on my own. So I'm in control of my own program. Um, I do also train with my master's club one or two evenings a week. Um, how much attention would you put on training for specific events? So if I said I, I want to be a 50 meters breaststroker, how much work would you do on 50 meters breaststroke? Or would you actually still recommend that you take a really broad approach and balanced approach on the type of training that you do? So I'm going to put my ISL hat on here and say you should be really balanced and do everything because it's, you know, it's fun to swim as much as you can. But in the real world, that's not as practical as may, maybe it seems because some of us can only do certain things. I, I could swim breaststroke. There was absolutely no point in me trying to do backstroke, freestyle. Yeah. My legs didn't go that way. I couldn't do freestyle kick. It was a waste of time. So, you know, there's certain people that can do one type of thing, but there's also others that are very broad. Sarah Shostrom could do everything. She could yes. swim every stroke apart from breaststroke, which she tries. But... Um, so again, it's it's more how can you what what do you want to achieve? It comes down to goal setting. You know what do you want to achieve? Do you want to go to the Masters World Championships and you want to win the fifty freestyle? Right, just train for the fifty freestyle. Yeah. But if if you want to go to the Masters World Championships, I want to make ten finals. Then you got to train for everything. So it depends on what your goals are, what your aspirations are, and then you can work back and you develop that plan along the way and how to achieve that. Yeah, brilliant. Um, I just want to go back a few years now to your swimming career, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, you competed at the Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, European and World Championships. What was the highlight of your career? 
highlight was when in honestly the highlight of my swimming career is actually being a coach and working with all the the, the different people I've worked with. I think the athletes I've worked with have won over 200 medals. Uh, one of my highlights winning an ISL team championship. It's been, it's been, you know what? As a coach, it's it's more intense. As an athlete, you're in control of your little world and what you're doing. Yeah. And you also believe that that's the most important thing in the world. Like you yeah. think that men's 50 breaststroke that goes at 1708 is the only thing that matters, and everyone in the world is watching you. But in yeah. reality, they're not. Uh, but that's your world. So it's but it's important to you. Um, but when you're a coach, you're you're responsible for a whole host of people. In ISL, I had to manage 50 people. Mm. And so everything's important. <laughs> There's not one race that's important. Every race is important. So one of my greatest things I think I've ever done is, yeah, it's when team championships, it's, uh, you know, when I watch world swimmers that I've worked, coached, win world championships, Olympic era, Florent won the Olympics in London. Uh, ben this year was incredible. He won everything, yeah. world short course, world long course, Commonwealth Games, Europeans. But I wouldn't say there's one that's more special than another. They're just, it, and it constantly evolves, right? So what you did last year, like, you won it again. So it gets, it's every year is special in its own unique way. Um, but I can't really pinpoint one thing I'd say was a highlight because there's just been so many. And also, you know, you work with people that uh, win a bronze medal, but you celebrate as if it's if it's a gold because they're of not course. supposed to win medals. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Their talent level is not of such where you should win a medal, but they get one somehow. And you're like, that's one of the most brilliant things I've ever done, mm. but no one will ever care. Or someone's made a final and you're like, how on earth did that happen? Um, <laughs> and I think it, one of the beautiful things about coaching is when you do things, well, when, or when athletes do things that they're not supposed to do, that's incredible. That's yeah. one. That's real, real magic. And you see it um, a lot, but it's, it's normally the events that people don't talk about. That sounds that sounds really good. Yeah, I felt like you took me on a journey there. Um, so I think I know the answer to this question, but do you get more... Uh, pride out of seeing one of your swimmers as a coach do really well or did you find that you felt the most proud when you did really well as a coach, coach. <laughs> yeah. as a coach and uh yeah it's because you you develop an emotional attachment to the athletes you know because it's you see people every day you work with them every day you're like when when they're low you know one thing through my time working with athletes and you don't know this is a young coach you think you've got to be you know, the man or whoever, it's total bullshit. You've got to be authentic. Yes. And, you know, you can show your vulnerability to senior athletes. If they don't do well, you can, you, you've got to be authentic with them. You go, oh, it's all right next time. No, no, no. You're like, oh, no. You've got to be authentic with people because otherwise athletes will see through it. And if they've not performed well, it's all right to say I'm disappointed, you know. And I hurt, you know, if I go to somewhere, I think I Georgia Davis finished fourth a few times at major meets and it's heartbreaking, yeah. you know, or, and especially when you've got a group that's really successful and because the athletes that finish fourth or they finish ninth, they're always looking they're, they're just not quite included with everyone else that's got the medals. And that's painful because you feel that pain as well for those athletes. And the always remember that you don't necessarily remember the ones that, that did it all like Chad at the last Olympics in Tokyo, 
Um, what I loved about Chad was he made no complaints about his life leading into Tokyo. He was not coached because of the pandemic. He couldn't get out of South Africa for six months in yeah. that Olympic cycle. He was on his own. He had his mum with a stopwatch. Mm. Sometimes he couldn't even get into a pool. Yeah. So if you go for days without getting into a pool. And then it, I got back with Chad in the like, 15th of May. That was opening day. We could fly away. Uh, got to Portugal and you're like, oh, what can I do with this guy? He's got two months until Tokyo and he missed the medal by four tenths. But he's the only one in the field that everyone else had perfect training environments. Yeah, they never stopped because of COVID. But he never made a thing of it. And I was very proud of him because he, ne- he could have got out. Uh, he was never a victim. He just said, I did my best. And we did our best. You know, he finished fifth or sixth. I can't remember. Fifth or sixth. Yeah. But he, four tenths from being an Olympic medalist. Yeah. Enduring some incredibly bad luck. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you know, back to my thing. Yeah, at moments I'm more proud, much more proud of the moments I achieved in coaching than I ever was of myself. Yes, I think you've got pride in your own achievements, but it's more your family and everything as opposed to when it was, because you're too young as well to actually really understand what it's all about. Especially yeah. with the Queen just dying and the funeral, I understand about my MBE and my honours. I understand that much more now than I ever did when I received it. Interesting. Did you have a coach when you were a swimmer who's had the biggest influence on the way that you now coach? One of the, the things, I met a guy called uh, David Marsh a long time ago. He's uh, one, of the, one of the top US coaches. Yeah. Um, he said to me, never be the coach that coach you. Be yourself. So, yes, I have elements of Ben Titley in my program. I have elements of Roman Barnier. I've, but a lot of it is my own, own sort of philosophies. And yeah. I, I believe in a polarized training method. Uh, so the two coaches I just mentioned, they don't generally do that. But I believe in a polarized method, either very fast or very slow. And I, I guess that's probably why I haven't had the best success with middle distance athletes. But with distance and sprinters, it <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. all aerobic, uh, very little anaerobic sprint, speed and anaerobic. Yeah, sounds good. You sound like you are just born to coach and that you absolutely love coaching. How, how did you find the transition from being a swimmer's coach? Because I believe you went from rooming with Liam Tancock to coaching him. So, so like, how was that, for example? <laughs> That's strange. That's a tough one, right? Because you're, you're finding your feet. You know, like, uh, fortunately, I was rooming with Liam, but then. I was living in France, so my first three years of coaching was in France. So it wasn't like a direct transition, and that's it's really hard if you're in a training environment with your mates and suddenly you're the coach. It's you know it's a nightmare actually. So fortunately, I didn't do it. I was three. I was three years in. A, I was separated from being like from being Liam's roommate to being his coach. Um, so, you, but there is many instances, and you see it a lot where suddenly someone's going to coaching and they're uh, so you're the guy you're coaching the guys in the water but you're also going out with them at the weekend and yeah it's it's this hard balance you know um to but where's the friendship lies but it, it again there's no right or wrong answer you just got to find that route yourself and it comes and again it comes down to just being authentic like having those hard conversations uh with your mates saying something now from now on we've got to do things slightly differently and that's just how it is i respect my career i respect you so this is how it's got to be done but my transition was very easy i had a disc hernia in my back i had surgery on my spine 
there was no coming back. So, okay. it, it, and I was kind of lucky because I had no choice. So I see so many athletes, older athletes, you, you know, your performances dropped sure, off, yeah. but yet they still have sponsorship. So there's no real reason to retire, but they're not getting the results they used to get because mm. it's life. It just happens. And, you know, I never had to make that decision. I never had to just say, right, I'm done with swimming. Um, you know, biology took care of that for me. Interesting. Um, so final question then. Uh, we are six weeks out from the uh, Masters Nationals Championships. It's it's the big gig of the year. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's starting to get excited. People have entered now. The entries opened up a couple of weeks ago. So six weeks out, if you could give one piece of advice to those competing in six weeks' time, what would it be? Long course or short course? Short course. Short course. Right. Fantastic. Go. Keep going, keep pushing. But um, so six weeks out, it's always a time to just. It's, it's this. This is kind of strange period where you're kind of looking for your taper. You're looking for that period where you can ease off, but yet you have to do your best work at the end of the cycle. So, and I have it with all my athletes all the time. You've worked all year, right? You've worked all year, and you get to like five, six weeks out, and you start to see everyone like. Oh, I want to rest. I want this. I need this. I need that. And like, no, and you're like, no, don't let go. Don't let go. Yeah, don't let go emotionally. Yeah. So what I would do six weeks out, I'd have a weekend off, or I'd have a, a little bit of an easier week, but I'd smash three weeks of training, and that that last week of training where you you, you need to be feeling, oh, I'm a bit fed up at this. I'm 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 tired and I need it. And then those last two weeks, completely crash taper. Go down to because short course you can get away with being super rested. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what I would do. I'd, I'd have a little rest and then I'd gear up for a big three weeks of training, sprint, middle distance, distance, whatever. And then I would do a two weeks out, 14 days out of my first race. I'd just crash taper right down 1k, 1.5 a session, start and then just feel good and recharge emotionally. Brilliant. Well, you heard it uh, from the elite coach, James Gibson, their swimmers. Uh, so you know what to do. Six weeks to go uh, to get ready. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been really, really good chatting to you today. Um, wish you the very best of luck in, in whatever you go on to do uh, in the future. I know you said you're heading back out to Turkey next week, so that'd be great. Um, again, thank you so much. It's been brilliant. No, cheers, Joe. I'm sorry I put you on the spot of a few questions. It's important. <laughs> no, it's all, all good. All good. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate.